You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This week has been monumental for the podcast. Last week, we mentioned that we had just had an article released on Business Insider. And for those of you who who haven't seen it yet, it's entitled, We have interviewed nearly 50 millionaires about how they invest their money, and here are five strategies anyone can implement. And in that article, we kind of just go briefly over shifting your emphasis from vertical to horizontal income, using the 2020 rule, starting early and taking risks, taking advantage of tax-free wealth building, and reviewing the tax allocations of your assets annually. I had a lot of really good feedback on it. In fact, I've had several new listeners because of the article, and some of you listeners have reached out, and we've actually been able to uh, schedule some meetings some some calls with some of our listeners, and that was such a treat this week to talk to some of y'all and, and to uh, get to know you a little bit better and, and kind of get your input on the show, and, and we're definitely going to take some of those suggestions so hard and try to implement some of those. Another thing is we have a Facebook group. Um, just look it up under Millionaires Unveiled, and uh, you can get all the updates there. We've got a couple other things on that as well, some other additional content, um, in addition to our website, which is millionairesunveiled.com. If you want to be on the show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We're always looking for uh, new guests to come on the show, and, and we'll interview you and, and uh, have a good old time. Also, if you are interested in investing, um, you know, shoot us an email. We've had several of you reach out, had several of you uh, on a call um, where we've kind of discussed some investments in the multifamily space, and really appreciate you all reaching out about those, and we've had some great conversations with you all about those. And... Before we get into the show, one other thing, if you have some time and you're really enjoying the show, get onto iTunes and and leave us a review. That really helps the show and it really helps us. And uh, now let's get right into the interview. So on today's show, we have Justin and he is, as of right now, our youngest retiree at the age of 33. And he retired with 1.2 million and has a current net worth of just over 2 million. A couple interesting facts here that stand out from the interview. He made here about 400000 in interest in the last year from the stock market, just from his investments increasing in value. And about 90% of his net worth is in the markets. And 50% of that is in the U.S. markets and 50% internationally. So pretty heavy internationally, which is interesting. And some of the other interviews we've done, there's been you know people that are solely invested in real estate or have a big chunk of their net worth in real estate. And in Justin's case, he just has 10% in a REIT, uh, a REIT fund. So a little bit unusual that this is someone that has most of their money in the markets. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with him. All right. Welcome to Millionaires in Veiled. Today we've got Justin. Justin, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to? Yeah, sure. So I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I am 37 currently, and uh, I guess my big thing is uh, I managed to retire at 33. So about four years ago, I retired from a career in civil engineering, 
I spent 10 years after college saving and investing, building up my portfolio, and uh, had enough to call it quits at the ripe young age of 33. My wife joined me about two years later, and she, she's also retired now as well. Um, we, yeah, we live in Raleigh, have uh, three kids. We own our house. It's all paid off. Uh, we only own one car, which is incredibly weird for people that have three kids uh, <laughs> and, not, and not living in New York City or somewhere like that. Uh, so that's kind of a mean a nutshell. And what is your net worth? Oh, net worth. So I uh, just crossed the $2 million mark in the last few days. Awesome. So let's let's back up here just a second. I mean, 10 years, it's like, boom, you're done, you're retired. When did you decide that, hey, I'm going to try to retire at 33? Right out of college, I started saving a lot of my money just because I guess I kind of was frugal naturally and had extra money left at the end of each month and uh, didn't really have a specific goal at the time. You know, this is back when I'm 23, 24 years old. I'm, I'm saving, investing, just kind of building up wealth without really thinking about what I'm going to do with it. And uh, over time, I found out about this whole early retirement thing. And so it sort of crystallized in my head and I said, hey, you know what? I'm saving this for early retirement now. So this became a goal of mine around 25, age 25. And I started really saving toward um, having at least 25 times my annual expenses at that point. And so I just, you know, every year we would put in uh, 50, 75, sometimes $100,000 into our 401ks, IRAs, brokerage account, and just built it up uh, year after year. And Went through the 09, 08, 09 recession, lost a bunch, uh, gained a bunch after that, and just kept plowing money in there. Pretty much living frugally and then saving all the excess for you. It's not like you've had a massive windfall of a million dollars or even had incomes of a million dollars. It's literally plug and chug for 10 years straight, saving, being frugal, and then retire at 33. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, our, we started out, uh, my income was just under 50000 My wife started out at just under 40000 uh, we, you know, we got raises, uh, promotions and ended up making about 70,000 each, uh, as we quit working. So pretty normal, typical college graduate salaries, nothing, you know, nothing fancy, no six figure incomes. Uh, and, you know, unless you add up our incomes, then we made 140,000 at the peak, but, um, just saving a lot of money, you know, taking advantage of the 401k matches, taking advantage of, of the, the tax deductible investments. So, um, you know, getting a big tax break from Uncle Sam for doing the 401k and the IRA. But that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah. And then how, mu how much did you invest a year? Did you always cap it out in your 401k and your IRAs? Yeah, pretty much since since uh, I graduated from college, I had enough to max out the, the 401k, uh, max out the, the, the his and hers IRAs. Um, I, I worked for the state for a couple of years and you actually get access to, uh, a 401k and a 457 with, um, 18,000 into each of those plans for one mm -hmm. person. So it's like you get to double dip basically. Wow. So how is that? Let's dive into that 2 million. How is that invested or how is that allocated? Sure. Uh, it is all in passive index funds. Uh, well, I say all 95% passive index funds as much as I can get in passive index funds. Um, Mostly Vanguard, some iShares, all very low cost. Uh, I, I keep a 50% U.S. allocation, 50% international allocation. Uh, so it's sort of split all the way around the world. Uh, there's a, a small cap and value tilt to it. 
And so I sort of have it sliced up in about 10% allocations to um, large value, uh, total U.S. market, small cap, small cap value, and sort of the same in the international side. Um, a little, I think, 5% to emerging markets on the international side, 5% for um, international real estate investment trusts, uh, 5% for U.S. real estate investment trusts. So um, it's kind of a slice and dice approach uh, um, with a tilt towards value in small cap stocks. Gotcha. Okay. And how come you've decided to go 50% international? Uh, I think the standard recommendation, at least what I'm looking at at Vanguard, how they do their asset allocation funds, they use 40%. And I don't know, I just uh, decided 50%. I figured a lot of our discretionary spending would be overseas vacations. And so sort of just a, a slightly higher tilt towards international uh, just to kind of um, hedge my bets and, and sort of track my investments against what we're spending. And so we usually do some kind of an international vacation each year that's um, several weeks to month, a month or two. And so we'll spend uh, probably 20, 25% of our annual expenses is this big vacation usually. So um, just kind of trying to put my investments where my money, where my spending is. Sure, sure. And nothing in real estate besides your primary home. Is that right? Uh, the real estate investment trusts make up about 11% of my gotcha. investment portfolio and then the home. So overall about, uh, yeah, close to 20%, roughly 20% is in real estate between the REITs and the, and my primary residence. The REIT so, in the house. Gotcha. Yeah. And what would you say your savings rate been, has it been? Do you know? I mean, obviously pretty high to get you to 2 million in 10 years or so. Yeah, typically 50%. Um, as we increased our incomes closer to 60 or 70%. So it depends on how you calculate it in terms of taxes and you know net versus gross and how you factor in the 401k match, if you consider that. But yeah, usually more than half or right at half of our income. Now, are you have you guys been eating, doing rice and beans, as Dave Ramsey says, for the last 10 years? Or, or have you lived a little? What, what would you say? Um, or what would your wife say? We, we spend up pretty well on groceries. Uh, we do a lot of cooking at home. So we probably spend more on groceries than we need to, but we spend almost nothing on restaurants. So that's one area where, um, you know, we, we buy a lot of ethnic food ingredients uh, for my wife is from Southeast Asia. So she cooks a lot of um, pho, pad thai, papaya salad, that kind of stuff. So we spend, you know, two or three dollars on a jar of some kind of a fancy spice or sauce or curry mix. And uh, we also, we buy the imported rice from Thailand, not like the, the cheap Walmart, um, t you know, 20 pound sack from Walmart. So it's about double the price, but you know, it's still like, <laughs> I don't know, 80 cents a pound or something. It's pretty, pretty affordable overall. Um, and we, we do focus on cost in terms of what we buy. We focus on, you know, frugality and cost, but it's um, in our fridge now. I mean, there's blue cheese, there's prosciutto, there's um, fresh vegetables, um, you know, the, the kids just had leftover ribs and, and fresh broccoli for dinner. So, um, you know, they're not, um, so you're not, we didn't, can't be that cheap. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, reasonable, um, reasonable kind of stuff that I guess is relatively fresh and, and still affordable. Right. So I'm just looking here. Justin runs a blog for our listeners called rootofgood.com and, and he kind of divulges a little bit about his net worth there and also about retirement planning. And you kind of, in one blog post, you have all your salaries, right? And it looks like kind of what you said, you started about 50,000 and then you didn't hit your max of 
what, 140, give or take, until year six or seven, it looks like? Yeah, um, I think I hit 69,000, 68,000, like, in the last few years. Yeah, year seven, probably. And I think my wife, it was just the last year, she broke 70,000, I believe, last year of her employment. And how much did you have once you graduated college? Did you start with zero, or did you kind of have a little bit saved up already? Uh, I had some saved up. And that was that was kind of like I took out student loans because the interest rates were close to zero for us. And I ended up saving some of that money from student loans. So it's essentially an arbitrage play where I'm taking the money and investing it, uh, you know, borrowing the money, investing it and then hoping to make more than the the one percent student loan rate. So, yeah. So, I, you know, net worth was close to zero when we finished college, but there was a lot of liabilities and a lot of assets on the balance sheet. If that makes sense. Yeah. And then you retired with how much? Uh, 1.2 or 1.3 million, probably somewhere in that range. So then you've added 700 in the last three years or so. Yeah. In the last, last four, I've been retired for almost four and a half years. So yeah, it, it kept growing. Part of that is my wife worked for two years, um, mostly full time in those two years. And, uh, and the market has been on fire, of course, since 2013. So, um, the, the, the great bulk of that increase has just been pure passive market returns. I think I looked since October of last year, October, 2016, we've made $400,000. Um, you know, so we've gone from 1.6 million to 2 million net worth in 14 months, uh, which is just, you know, crazy. Yeah. So what was it like? when you had the first conversation with your, with your wife about retiring early? Uh, I don't think she really thought too much about it. I think she was just probably thinking it was a pipe dream at the time. And it, you know, it, obviously when you're 25 and you're working, it's your mindset is okay. People will quit working at 65 or, or 70. And you know, my parents are still working. They're not close to retirement yet. So I think, she, I think it was just more of like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, we'll just save money and, and keep living like we are and, and it's fine. Um, and I think over time as, you know, as the, the numbers went up and we broke through a six figure net worth and then, you know, a quarter of a million and half a million, it started to get real somewhere in there, you know, quarter or half a million. That's, that's like, you know, you could, you could almost quit working and live on that beans and rice, um, you know, slumming it in Mexico, kind of, <laughs> um, kind of a retirement, you know, and, and that was always like, plan D, like if we just couldn't take the jobs anymore, we could just um, pack up, sell the house and, you know, do something extremely frugal um, with half a million dollars. But, but it was, you know, that's not the path that we end up taking. Gotcha. During this whole process, what have your kids kind of said? Are they old enough to kind of recognize that dad's retired and that this is kind of the lifestyle they have now? Um, yeah, pretty much. Our oldest two are 11 and 12. So they're in middle school and, you know, they, they have, uh, they're very financially in touch with what's going on uh, in terms of how we fund our, our lifestyle. And um, the youngest one's five. So he's, he's, of course, has no clue. He just plays video games and watches Netflix and like runs around the yard and stuff. So um, I don't think he really understands that it's weird to have two stay at home parents. <laughs> but um or, or the fact that like we go on these crazy vacations every summer for a month or two. Um, I, I don't, you know, he's just going to grow up thinking this is normal, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the, the kids, they get questions at school sometimes about, wait a second, your parents are retired. Oh, they must be like 65 or 70 because some of the other kids' parents are, you know, 60 years old or, or more. Um, 
So, but yeah, they, they understand that, you know, we save a lot of money, we live frugally, um, we have a big portfolio and it supports our living expenses pretty easily. So, so what kind of mistakes have you made along the way? Uh, mistakes, uh, probably, probably the biggest one was starting out with a full service brokerage firm. Uh, in, in, in terms of the mistake there, it's just paying thousands and thousands of commissions that were not required to invest the way I wanted to. So fortunately, after less than a year of working full time and dumping money in with this with this brokerage firm, I figured it out. And uh, you know, I, I just said, "Why am I? I want to buy these lower cost index funds." And I've been buying these fully loaded, expensive mutual funds that are actively managed, and they dump out all these taxes on me. And you know, this is crazy. Why am I paying more for worse service, for worse a worse quality of investment? And uh, so within a year, I just ditched this this guy that I had and, and went to Vanguard and. Um, started investing that way. So I think that was probably my biggest mistake was paying, uh, you know, just thinking about what would an extra three or $4,000 or whatever I wasted on commissions, what would that be worth today? Um, you know, 12, 13 years later now, um, you know, $12,000, I don't know how much, how many times probably doubled twice at least since then. Um, so 10, 10, $12,000. And that's, that's not a huge mistake in terms of, um, you know, bankrupting somebody or anything. But, mm-hmm. um, for me, I think I, I think I managed to do okay, um, early on and, and, you know, get set up pretty well early on, which just kind of put me on autopilot to, to do well later on right now. I got to ask a ton of our listeners want to know, you know, amongst the early retirement crowd, what do you do for health insurance? Yeah. Health insurance, um, since the affordable care act was passed, is a whole lot easier to to get it and to to keep it and i've heard that's a pretty big general consensus is that um you know the pre-affordable care act you're kind of as long as you're healthy and and your insurance policy stays in effect it's relatively affordable you just pay it but if you have a pre-existing condition or something happens to you and you have to sign up for new insurance you're screwed this is pre-affordable care act uh now you know you sign up for it there's no pre-existing condition stuff um in terms of finances, it works out since there's no asset tests for uh, the Affordable Care Act insurance or the subsidies there. It, it really is just an income test. And so it's based on household size and income to qualify for these subsidies. Um, for a household of five like ours, we can, be, we can make a ton of money, like 120000 adjusted gross income. And, and this, is, you know, this is pulling from taxable accounts, from Roths, from wherever you have money. Some of that doesn't even get included in your adjustable gross income. So you can have an AGI that's 120, 115,000, let's say, and still get massive subsidies from the uh, ACA and, and pay relatively small amounts for health insurance. And so ours varies, um, you know, $100 a month for premiums, um, something like that's pretty average. If you, and I, and I, I do focus on managing my income, you know, to, to keep those subsidies relatively large and keep the, you know, keep what I'm paying out of pocket relatively low. It's working well right now when the kids are out of the house. I kind of think of it as more like a, a child subsidy than a healthcare subsidy at this point. When the kids are gone, my taxes are going up, my health insurance costs are going up. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll have less kid expenses and more health insurance expenses. It'll be a wash. So how much of your, of your 2 million is, is in 401ks or Ross and kind of locked up that you can't maybe touch right now without taking a penalty on it? Yeah. Um, about three quarters is in tax deferred or Roth accounts. Um, 
one quarter is in a brokerage account, which you know you can touch anytime. Uh, but but that three quarters that's in tax deferred, uh, there's probably a hundred thousand, which is like five percent of my net worth. About a hundred thousand dollars in a four fifty seven, you can actually withdraw from that penalty free anytime. Uh, and that's a, that's a plan that's available to state employees, government employees usually. So that's one advantage if you're trying to retire early. Um, you can pull money out of a 457. Roths, probably 150000 or so. And those are somewhat easy to pull out some money from. Um, you can pull out your contributions anytime, uh, tax-free, penalty-free, before age 59 and a half. You don't have to wait. So that's, 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 that's an area where I can pull money out. And, but then there's, you know, uh, at least a million dollars that's in traditional 401k, traditional IRAs. That's money that is trickier to access when you're, you know, in your thirties or forties, but through using this thing called the Roth IRA conversion ladder, you can move money from a, from a traditional IRA over to a Roth IRA bit by bit. And then five years after you convert these amounts to a Roth, you can pull anything, any of those amounts that you convert, you can pull it out tax-free and penalty-free. You just pay tax when you convert it. So so basically, as long as you're able to do the financial footwork to move the money over to the Roth, you're totally set. You know, you just got to think, you got to think five years out. Uh, and for me, you know, I got $500,000 I can touch, $600,000 I can get to between the taxable account, the Roth accounts, and the 457. So, I mean, I've got, you know, over half a million dollars I can get to right now penalty-free. Um, and so I have plenty of time to set up this Roth IRA ladder where I can later pull out this money from a Roth tax-free as well. So, um, so taxes in, in early retirement are, are, um, you know, you have a lot of flexibility in terms of how much income you take each year, how much you're selling from a taxable account, how much you're pulling out of a Roth, uh, how much you're pulling, how much you're converting from a traditional to a Roth IRA. Uh, and that's where I, you know, it gets back to, I can manage so that I'm paying basically no tax. Um, you know, whether I'm spending 40,000 a year, 60,000 a year, 80,000 a year, um, there's a lot of flexibility and I'm actually doing, I'm artificially increasing my salary just to get up to the top of that 0% bracket. Um, so I'm, 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 uh, I'm making more than I usually would if I was just selling my investments. I'm, I'm capital gain harvesting. I'm converting money over to a Roth just to get my income up because it's, you know, it's, it's tax free. I might as well go ahead and do it. And if you had to pull any of that money out, or are you mostly just living off your interest or you do a little retirement coaching as well? Is that kind of yeah. what's it's it's a mix. Um I've got, you know, I got the dividends coming in from the taxable account. That's about ten thousand per year. Um I, I just sold some um I sold fifteen thousand dollars of a mutual fund. So that's you know, that's half a year's living expenses or you know, three or four months at least living expenses. Um I started the blog, it's actually making more money than I ever expected. Um, I do, yeah, I do financial consulting for other early retirees that brings in uh, a few hundred bucks a month. Usually I do about four or five hours of consulting a month on that. So um, it's kind of a mix of, of money from different places. I, I just, I just moved some more money into a CD. Just it's going to generate. Um, it's not much money. It's only $300 a year. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> ignore that. <laughs> so you mentioned you wanted about 25 times saved of, you know, what your expenses were going to be. So that's roughly right. The 4% retirement rule. Has that held true in your past four years or so? Yeah. Our, our, so our, 
our assets have gone up in value quite a bit and we, you know, we, we've let ourselves spend more, but just because, you know, we're not working. So we have a lot of flexibility in terms of how we spend money and when we spend it. Um, I can, I can dig into the details of things and, and get more frugal. Uh, and a good example of that is, you know, I, I have time to call around to three or four different auto shops to get quotes for auto repairs. Um, I'm not doing it myself. You know, that that's like if you're super frugal, you're doing your own auto repairs. I do some of it, the simple stuff. I don't do the big, crazy stuff that you need uh, serious equipment for. But, uh, you know, I call around, maybe save 100 bucks, 150 bucks by finding a cheaper provider, uh, reliable but still cheap provider. Um, so, we're, so we're not spending anywhere close to, you know, that, that 25 times expenses, it works out to 4% of your investments each year you can spend. Um, so we're, we're spending much less than 4%, probably closer to two and a half or 3% of what we have right now. Uh, we typically spend 30, 35, 40,000 per year. Um, just depends on the year, you know, how much traveling we're doing. If we're doing a big home repair, that that sort of thing. Sure. And what are your bigger, your expenses each year? Would you say, uh, big, big vacation is, uh, usually number one expense. Uh, and that's, Five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars. Um, well, that's total vacation expenses. Um, and then, and then home repairs. Uh, we did like a big renovation on the outside of the house, um, new siding, roof repairs, and new windows. And that was close to ten thousand dollars. That was several years ago. But um, you know, so in a year like that, when we have a big ten thousand dollar home expense, it's going to be. 40,000 or maybe I don't think we've been over 40,000 sure, sure. yet, but it's, it's, it's up there. So, and it's, I was just going to touch on the expenses a little bit. I've got an article on the blog called, um, something like living a hundred thousand dollar lifestyle on 40,000 per year. Because I think if you, you know, if you tell someone I'm, I'm living on 40,000 per year, they're just like, well, holy crap. That's, and it is, it's almost poverty level, but we don't have a mortgage. We pay relatively small amount of taxes um, and, and our, you know, our house is paid off. So it's really just food, some minor housing expenses, those repairs. Um, we have one car, so it's pretty modest car expenses. We don't drive a ton because we're not going to work every day. Um, so uh, groceries is one of the bigger expenses and then whatever we spend on vacations. So it's kind of like, there's a whole lot of discretionary spending and not, not a whole lot of, of, you know, mandatory baseline spending, like a lot of households have between, driving to work, maintaining two cars, uh, paying a big mortgage or paying rent, um, and then paying, you know, a large tax bill. So it's just sort of a, um, I feel like $40,000 in my hands gets me what most households that are earning 80 or a hundred thousand, it's kind of the same kind of lifestyle as what they're spending. Does it worry you at all that if the market were to correct again, you'd lose, you know, I don't know, 40% of your net worth and you're retired? Yeah. Not too much. Um, over the past year in 2017, I've watched the market go up a lot and I decided to get a little bit more defensive uh, just to be able to sleep at night more. Uh, so I, I've sold uh, probably $125,000 worth of equities this year and moved it into um, high grade bonds, Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund. Uh, just, just to buy me some peace of mind. So that's, uh, four or five years of living expenses, um, without really cutting our expenses a whole lot. But so I feel like at this point, you know, I can live off of the, the cash on hand I have, plus that big bond fund position I've built up. And I don't really have to worry about selling for 
four or five years. Um, and then I'll be collecting dividends each year and I'll probably have some kind of a, a side income from whatever project I'm working on at the time. Um, so, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of safety built into just what I've set up right now between the investments and, and my little side hustle. So, um, you know, if we have a great depression kind of thing where the markets are in the, in the dumps for 10 years, yeah, I'm going to be worried, you know, year three, year four, year five, it's going to start bothering me. Uh, but, but as is, it's really, um, I've kind of got it set up so that I, I just, I don't pay attention to the markets that much. Um, I know they've gone up, but you know, if, if it drops a percent or two in a day, it, it's, I, I lose $40,000 if it drops 2%. But I mean, that's, that's what I spend in a year, but it's not like I'm going and selling anything today or tomorrow to, to fund my living expenses, you know? How, how is your portfolio going to change as you kind of, you know, move farther and farther into this retirement? Are you going to move more into bond funds? Or are you kind of just going to stay and as, as you feel like the markets have risen and then maybe take some chips off the table? How are you going to kind of go about that? I, I might take some more chips off the table if it keeps going up a lot. I'm kind of at that point now where I feel like I've got, you know, I've got enough to cover like a great recession kind of a dip uh, in fixed income. I don't have enough to cover a great depression dip. Uh, so, you know, if the market keeps going up, if it goes up another 25 or 50%, you'll probably see me moving another 100,000, maybe more 200,000, I don't know, um, into bonds. And it's, it's sort of just intuitive at this point. And, and part of that thinking is, you know, I've still got, I'll still have 1.5, 1.6 million in the market. If that goes up 50%, you know, I'm still going to be making seven, $800,000 from, from increase in equities. So I've still got uh, 90% allocation to stocks as is. And I can, I can really afford to pull some more of that risk off the table if things keep going up and up and up. Got so it. I'm, I'm just it. sort of taking it, you know, month by month at this point. When you were deciding to, to retire early, at what point did you decide to pay off your house? Uh, that was sort of a goal all along to pay it off roughly at the time of that I retired. And, and part of that was going, every time I refinanced, I would go down from, a, you know, from 30 year to 15 year to 10 year. And I ended up in a five year loan at the very end. So I actually had about, about two years left on the loan when I quit working. And uh, I just decided one day to, to sell, um, I think it was a bank index fund I bought back in the Great Recession when I, I just, I, you know, I was like, hey, I'm, a, I'm so smart, I'm going to buy this bank index fund. It did nothing for five or six years. And so I just sold it. It was kind of a dog and didn't make sense in my portfolio. And I used those proceeds to pay off the bank. So uh, it, was, it was kind of a, you know, a little bit of a poetic, yeah, a little bit of ironic poetic justice there where you're, you're selling a bank index fund to pay off your mortgage. Um, but, but yeah, I just decided to get rid of the mortgage just so that, you know, so that my cash flow needs are pretty modest. Um, there, there are months where we get by pretty well on 1500 to $2,000 if we don't have those big lumpy expenses like a home repairs or, um, you know, insurance bill or tax bill, property tax bill. Gotcha. What's been the, uh, the favorite place that the family's gone on vacation in the last few years you've been retired? Mm, um, I would say Europe. We went to Europe last this past summer, 2017. Uh, we spent about two months there, and uh, it was our first time in Europe for all of us, so a very very novel experience. Um, I think it was just you know seeing a lot of different cultures and languages, and and uh, a lot of the scenery there. We spent a lot of time in the Alps. 
that was pretty awesome. So um, we, we've been to Mexico and been to Canada a few times and done some road trips in the U.S. Um, so it's just I think the Europe trip was that, you know, that once in a lifetime kind of trip that we probably will do something like that most summers. But it's 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 um, that was certainly a unique, fun experience to see. Uh, we, we went to eight different countries and rode the train around everywhere. So it was um, kind of like backpacking through Europe after college, but with kids and, and more money, <laughs> a lot more money. Any books or uh, people that have, have been very influential or helpful to you over the years? I think I think Warren Buffett. Um, I read his biography. It was a very interesting book on kind of the mindset of, of an investor. Um, I think it's called Snowball. That's a good one, you know, if you're into finance or, or kind of like more more depth, um, not really for how to run your money as much, but I think a good book to read if you want to learn how to manage your money in a simple way, uh, it's called, uh, I think it's Bogleheads Guide to Investments. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of that, you know, it'll sell you on the Vanguard low cost passive index fund investing approach. And I think it's a very accessible do-it-yourself investment approach for a lot of people uh, buy three or four different low-cost index funds, put money in each month, um, save on taxes, um, keep investing 10, 20, 30 years, and you're going to be able to retire. Uh, it's, it's a real simple roadmap to, uh, you know, to get, you, get your finances in order where you're consistently, routinely investing, building up wealth. And it's, and it's all, you know, it's passive. So it's not like learning a new business. It's not, um, it's not learning about real estate. It's not learning how to manage this big enterprise. It's, you know, it's setting up a, an account at, at Vanguard or Fidelity or just setting up a 401k, dumping money in each month. And, you know, you still have to be able to save money. You have to spend less than what you make. So that part of it is challenging for some people. But uh, but that that Boglehead's Guide to Investments, I believe that's what it's called. Um, that's what I'll tell a lot of people. It's a nice, you know, it's very readable, very accessible. Nice. So where do you go from here? Do you have a target net worth or what's your, any goals or just kind of see what happens? I, I think just see what happens. I, I really never expected to have $2 million. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I figured that would be something like maybe, you know, 10 years after I quit working, if, if I'm spending less than what I'm, what I could spend each, each year, you know, if I'm spending less than that 4% rule says I can spend, uh, which we are, we have been, but, um, I really expected it to take a lot longer to hit 2 million. So, um, and, and, you know, it's the stock market. And like you said, the next big correction, I could be losing 40%. I might go back to having 1.2 million. I mean, in a year from now, I could have 1.2 million. Uh, it still works. The financial plan still works with 1.2 million. So it's not a big deal. I mean, losing $800,000 sounds pretty, pretty horrible, but, um, I I don't think we're going to change a whole lot if we do see a big correction. Uh, and in fact, kind of looking forward to it uh, in, in a very selfish way uh, because travel prices for cruises and hotels and airline tickets should drop a whole lot in the next big recession. So uh, we may actually ramp our spending up some to take advantage of better deals um, in the next big correction because it, everything's expensive now. It's, you know, it's hard to, we were looking for places in Mexico on the beach and they're just like, there's nothing good that's reasonably priced. So you know, you're, you're, you're a multimillionaire and you can't afford to go to Mexico. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> it's good. It's getting, it's getting pretty tough out there, but it's, I think it's, we're in that point in the economic cycle where everybody's feeling pretty wealthy. A lot of people really are wealthy, you know? And so there's a lot of money out there competing for, um, other luxury goods. And so, um, when the market 
crashes and the economy starts to suffer, um, I think the the travel and leisure section of the economy offers up a lot of great value, and that's something that we're hoping to take advantage of. You know, in the next big correction, we'll we'll help out with the economy by by uh, supporting those industries. So. Yeah. Sure, sure. So what would be your advice to somebody who maybe wants to take the same path you did? Or what have been, you know, some big surprises that maybe you didn't think of sure. before you were retired? I think, you know, I think to get on the path to early retirement or regular retirement, it's really just comes down to saving, um, you know, saving some of your money and it doesn't have to be a huge amount. So you can still get there if you save 10 percent. It's just going to take you a long time. Uh, but I think it's one of those things, if you if you save 10% and you do it in a, in a tax-efficient way, um, you get your employer match, you get some tax breaks, it's really not going to take a big chunk out of your paycheck, and you're going to be able to retire comfortably at 60 or 65. Um, it's even better if you can save 20% or 30% or start banking your raises, you know, start saving 10% now when you get a 5% raise. Start saving 15%, you know, kind of keep living like you've been living. Uh, so I think that's the biggest part to getting on that path to early retirement or regular retirement is, is simply doing the saving, you know, in a disciplined manner consistently year after year. Um, and what was the other part of the question? The I guess anything that surprised you maybe that sure. you didn't think about before you retired. Uh, it took me a while to transition into the, that retired mindset of, of, uh, you know, instead of focusing on productivity and, and always having something to do and needing to be kind of accountable and, and, you know, what have I accomplished today? Um, you know, now I'm okay if, if all day I, I spend, I, I cook some dinner, read a book for a few hours, sit out in the hammock, um, you know, talk to the kids, <laughs> help them with their homework. Like I, I just, it took me, a, it took me six months probably just to really tone it down to where, you know, to transition from, Hey, I'm working. I've got to, I've got to get my job done. I've got to get home, take care of the kids. I got to get, I've got to, I, got, I want to have a little bit of fun at night. I, you know, I want to watch some TV. I want to, I want to um, do all, all this stuff. And I think just getting to that mindset of like, it's okay. You know, I can take care of this tomorrow if I need to. It's not a big deal. And, and, and to, to move on to that thinking of, you know, this is the rest of my life now. And so whatever I want to do now, this is it. You know, I need to do it. Um, but I don't have to get it done today or tomorrow. But I need, do need to make plans at some point to, you know, if I want to do something, now is the time. Sure. So where can people find you or learn more about you? Sure. Uh, the blog is the, the best way. And that's rootofgood.com. And I also have a Twitter and Facebook account, so you can find that at the blog. There's an email subscription on the blog, too, if you want to sign up and get regular emails. Uh, but yeah, rootofgood.com, that's where you can find me. And what's your goal with that blog? Uh, I just set it up to have fun and, and talk to people and connect with other people out there that are early retirees or on the path. And it's been pretty amazing because, you know, you think it's, well, it's, in the, it's on the internet, it's out there, uh, but... But I've met a whole lot of people through it locally uh, and, and, you know, across the country and across the world. I haven't met most of the people across the world, but um, but I've, you know, I've bumped into people and uh, ended up meeting up with some other early re retirees in uh, Berlin, in Germany this summer. Mm. Um, they, they're from Canada, but we, we've never, I don't think we've ever been in the U.S. at the same time where they've been able to meet up here. So, so we just met up out there in, in Berlin. Um, so it's been, it's been fun. It's been a good experience. Um, just connecting with people and sharing ideas. And, you know, I've learned a lot from people too, of, 
you know, hey, there's this good deal going on, or there's this, you know, there's this uh, this new credit card bonus offer you can sign up for to get all these free airline miles. Check this thing out. And I'm just like, I think I'm on top of stuff, but I'm not. You know, I learned so much stuff from other people. Yeah. Well, Justin, thank you. Net worth of two million retired at the age of 33. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.